Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian, and we have a very special episode for you today. We are going to have a two-part episode. The first part is called The Anatomy of a Mises Takeover. The second part is going to be talking about how to um, kind of mold your convention and your recruiting strategies to new members as we drive membership uh, recruitment prior to these conventions. We have two guests with us today. Uh, first time on Chief Chats that we've had two guests, so we're going to see how this goes. The first guest is Kaylin Wiggins, who is the state organizer for the Mises Caucus. Kaylin, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Kaylin Wiggins. Uh, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I've been a member of the OKLP for about a year and a half, and I've been working as a state organizer for the Mises Caucus for a few months now. I uh, just got reelected to uh, the rules committee, and uh, that's about it. Very good. Thank you for coming on, Caitlin. We also have Caitlin Garcia. Caitlin, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Caitlin Garcia. I'm the chair of Washington County, and I'm really proud of that because I have a pretty good county affiliate up and going. I'm secretary of the Northeast region and I serve on the same committee as Kaylin. So I'm looking forward to working with him. Wonderful. We should also probably announce that since our last episode, Kevin Hobby has been elected chair of the party. I've been elected treasurer of the party. And as Kaylin and Caitlin mentioned, I believe they are both on the uh, newly formed platform and bylaws committee, which used to be known as the rules committee. Um, so all four elected officials here in the Oklahoma LP uh, to talk about the last weekend's Oklahoma convention. Um, so Kevin, if you don't mind, I'll set the stage here. Uh, the reason we wanted to do this episode uh, from a Mises standpoint was there's been a lot of news about Mises going to the different states, having a certain number of successes, and people talking about takeovers or not takeovers. What we wanted to do was kind of paint a picture of what ours looked like so that people know what a quote-unquote takeover should look like or could look like so that they don't have this image in their head of Mises just rolling in with 50 brand new people who don't understand libertarianism and getting what they want, because I don't think that's what happened. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong as we go through. Um, but let me set the stage for Oklahoma. Um, and again, Kaylin and Kevin, you've been around. Feel free to correct me here. Um, as of last year, Oklahoma had approximately two or three folks in the Mises caucus. We had two Mises delegates uh, to, be, um, to be accurate. So we had 28 people run for delegates. Two of them were Mises. Uh, both of them became delegates, and only one of us actually voted for the Mises candidate. So I'd argue only one of us were real hardcore Mises. Um, right around November or December, we ended up naming five Mises caucus state organizers for Oklahoma and started recruiting very hard. Uh, we ended up with over 100 names on our list. We ended up with over 50 people who had filled out information for us. Um, detailed information and wanted to be a part of the caucus, we were able to recruit a lot of them 
uh, they came to the um, convention and we ended up winning all eight seats where we had a Mises endorsed candidate. Six of those were Mises, two of those were endorsed candidates. And I'll have Kaylin talk a little bit about the process that we took to get there. But the point is, is we went from kind of zero to 60, but it was truly an eight for eight performance. And as of this moment, seven out of the 12 spots on the XCOM executive committee are Mises spots. Um, so this could be considered quote unquote, a takeover. Uh, we do want to let you know how that happened, what it looked like, what it felt like at convention and how it happened, because whether you're Mises or somebody else, you could do the same thing. And it is good for the party, in our opinion, or in my opinion, and we'll see what the other folks have to say um, on how this is going to affect Oklahoma. So let's start from the beginning, Kaylin, if we can um, talk a little bit about how you got involved as a state organizer and what are some of the things that we did early on as we tried to go from a handful of us to 50 of us? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you sent me a message. I was in the, the OKLP Discord and you asked if I wanted to be uh, a state organizer. So I thought, uh, why not? I was, I, I joined the party originally because of the Mises Caucus because I was, you know, living, listening to people like Tom Woods and Dave Smith. And, um, you know, I agreed with the message and their, their strategy. Uh, so I was happy to, to come on board as an organizer. And then as far as recruiting people, like we've got a, a process where, you know, people can fill out, um, uh, at take, take human action.com is the website. People can get information about the Mises caucus. So people were going there, signing up, and then, uh, the, the state organizers would get those email addresses and, uh, you know, we just follow up and invite people to convention. And, uh, that's pretty much the process. Yep. And so basically we had, you know, just a simple Google Sheets document, basically a free CRM process. Um, Caitlin and I and the other three would get an email that says so-and-so signed up for information. We'd reach out to them, send them an additional form that said, hey, please fill out this additional information so that we know more about you. And that included phone number, email, um, county, whether or not they wanted to be a state delegate, <clears throat> come to convention, whether or not they wanted to go to Reno next year and be a delegate. Um, so quite a bit of information that we would get from them, including stuff like, why do you want to be a part of the Mises Caucus? So we would hear from people on why they were interested, uh, what was motivating them. Um, and then we would basically categorize them so that we had them on a sheet and understood who was interested in coming to convention and who wasn't. At that point, we had a couple of information sessions um, where we laid out our plans. And th that basically looked like um, what we said was we wanted 20 people to come to convention. We wanted to start three county affiliates and we wanted to double the OKLP by um, 2022. Those were basically the three big goals. Uh, we what's almost 40 times? Or what's 40 times? Say that again. So sorry. Nope, no problem. Um, so the uh, so we almost got to 20. I think we were at 17 or 18 folks ended up showing up to convention. Um, we started a big three initiative, which is to uh, basically reaffiliate the three largest counties in Oklahoma um, that had that had had county affiliates basically fall apart. Uh, we did all that prior to the convention, which also allowed us to do more recruiting 
um, and have more things to talk to potential recruits about. Um, and also allowed us to get our potential candidates something to do. So we would put one of them in charge of the Oklahoma County affiliate, you know, recruiting and one of them in charge of the Cleveland County affiliate recruiting. Um, we also got three of them, uh, helped three of them get elected to one of their regional affiliates, um, regional county or regional affiliates, so that they had more on their resume as that run up to convention happened. Um, so the point of the process was twofold. One, get a number of people, but then also give them a resume inside the party. Let them see what it's like to do the work. For example, um, Kaylin, right? We had six Mises folks who actually wanted to run for at-large. Two of them wound up pulling out prior to convention, essentially figuring, figuring out that there was too much to do. Um, and that they weren't comfortable with the workload, which is exactly what you want to do, because you don't want to get everyone elected and then have them find out there's too much to do and have them pull out afterwards. So it's important for these folks to see what the work involved was. Um, Caitlin, maybe we'll have you talk a little bit, because as one of the non-Mises endorsed candidates, you did go through um, a mini interview process, which we also did this time around. What we did was we had the state organizers interview all the candidates and come up with the recommendations um, because we didn't have enough time to have a Mises convention. We did pull the people, um, pull the Mises folks on the chair race because we didn't want to make the wrong decision there. But on all the other races, the Mises organizers made the call. Caitlin, could you talk a little bit about the um, interview and just what you thought in general and um, how that was handled? Yes, and first off, apologize for interrupting you. I thought I was muted and someone asked me something. No um, so, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Yes, um, so when you uh, were running for at-large mm -hmm. and, um, and we invited you to have an interview with the Mises Caucus, could you tell us a little bit about oh. how that went, how you felt going into it, how you felt afterwards, and just... Um, what that process was like so going into it i didn't really know what to expect um i i mean i did have like a general idea like okay this is going to be an interview but i wasn't really sure what kind of questions i was going to have and i wasn't sure how two-sided it was going to be but it was actually a really i feel like open interview i learned quite a bit about the caucus during the interview and um felt very comfortable just Felt like having a conversation it wasn't like a um, extremely rigid politicized conversation or anything and that's good to hear because if um if you remember i think it was a four-on-one -on -one interview um yeah which can be intimidating and can be you know pretty aggressive but i think we tried to make people comfortable we interviewed every candidate that was willing to come in and interview um and in the end you didn't get the endorsement but but a lot of us got to know you better and a lot of us ended up voting for you for bylaws committee, uh, which you ended up getting. Um, Kevin, you on the other hand, uh, we did not interview the chair candidates. The Mises organizers got together, decided who we thought was gonna be best for the chair and then did a poll of the rest of the Mises caucus. What was it like from your end, not really knowing how that was gonna go um, and how did that look from the outside looking in? 
Um, <clears throat> it was kind of nerve wracking on my end because, you know, if you look at kind of my thing, you know, being the voice of the left libertarians that aren't libsocks, I'm not, my whole messaging is kind of different than the Mises caucus. The Mises caucus doesn't want to focus on social issues. I think that social issues are the number one thing that we need to be focusing on. Um, we agree economically, of course. Um, but as far as everything else, you know, it kind of, we were not a hundred percent in line. Um, so I didn't know, I didn't know how it was going to go. I knew that my opponent had uh, been involved with the Mises caucus before, I knew that um, he had been around a lot longer than I had. And so I, I, to be completely honest, I wasn't feeling very good about the straw poll. Um, I know that <clears throat> um, you and I have the podcast together. So everybody kind of had this idea that it was kind of a foregone conclusion, but it really wasn't like that at all. Um, at least not on my end. Um, I don't feel like you wielded any influence or anything like that over the caucus. It was just kind of what the caucus wanted, you know? And um, I, at that point I hadn't really got a chance to talk or discuss um, with the Mises caucus, you know? Um, so a lot of people didn't really know where I was coming from. They had just seen my post on there. Um, and yeah, I mean, so it was kind of nerve wracking on my end whenever it came out that I had won the straw poll, I was pretty surprised um but i was glad you know and I, I believe the thing that that uh got that was that you know i may not be mises uh however my unity my unity mission and the unity coalition and all of that stuff we could at least work together on a lot of things and i think that that was ultimately what a lot of people saw um as far as that goes and i'm really grateful for the endorsement you know i couldn't have won the race without you guys but um at least for me, it was pretty nerve wracking. Um, I would have preferred an interview. <laughs> yeah. And looking back on it, um, you know, probably we should have done that. Uh, Kaylin, um, think about how we made these decisions and talk a little bit about uh, the four out of five rule that we use, because I think that's important to know. I think a lot of people um, have kind of accused this of being a one man show, but it wasn't like that at all. We actually required people to um, get a four out of five vote to basically move anything forward as we had the five state organizers. Can you talk a little bit about how we had those discussions and what that was yeah. like from your end? For all of our big decisions, like our endorsement decisions and things like that, we had, we decided uh, before we did any of them, before we made any of those decisions to have uh, a four out of five vote among the state organizers. So you know, and any, anytime there was disagreement, you know, we would discuss it and, you know, um, come to a, a consensus that everybody was happy with. So I, I think it was, I mean, I don't know if we could have, what else we could have done. I think it, that was about the best way that we could have done it. Yeah. And I think most of those conversations happened over discord. Right. Um, and then when it was really contentious, I think we jumped on two different zoom calls to kind of hash things out and figure it out. Yeah. Um, and we, we did, we ended up interviewing uh, all of the, or, you know, the potential uh, candidates. And um, I thought that was a good idea because, you know, we had some, a lot of people were, were brand new um, that we didn't know. So, um, you know, we, we vetted everybody to the extent that we could. So we were pretty comfortable and I was really happy with the people that, that, uh, our candidates that we brought to convention. Um, they were all really impressive. They all gave great speeches and I was really proud of them. Yeah, that's a good point. So after we 
made the official endorsements, we did bring everybody to a Zoom call. Um, So the endorsed candidates and let them meet the membership. Um, And so we had probably 12 or 15 people on that call. And those folks were able to give a speech and then take questions from the membership. And if I remember right, that went a lot longer than we planned. (laughs) um, But that was good. Um, And people were able to kind of meet and and beat up Kevin a little bit for being a lefty and and talk to Sharice. And those are the two non-Mises candidates. And then everybody else get to know each other um, and give advice on how to be a better candidate and stuff like that. And I think that happening two or three weeks uh, prior to the election, I think really helped because it allowed these folks to really start working on what they were going to do and how they were going to run for those positions. So that was all the stuff um, that was done from a coming up with the slate um, part of it. Kaylin, you want to talk about a little bit about the stuff that we ended up bringing to convention um, at handouts and how that came together and what we worked on um, and then how organized we were. Cause I think we got a lot of good comments about the organization uh, from people who were not Mises, who didn't know much about us prior to this. Yeah. Most of that was uh, Todd Hagopian himself taking care of all that stuff um, with the, he printed out, um, I guess you laminated our, you made a sheet that had all of our endorsements on it and it was laminated, looked really nice. And then a handout that we had that, you know, about what the Mises caucus is all about and um, what, which uh, uh, platform planks we were endorsing and all, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think it, I think it really uh, made us look professional and uh, it was really nice. Yeah. If you don't mind me hopping in, if you don't mind me hopping in here for a second. So one of the things that um, I think you guys need to, really really tout for yourselves because it's kind of getting like you touched on it a little bit Kalen but the amount of organization that you guys had was unlike anything that had ever happened at a convention it was so fantastic the um my date actually commented on it my date that was one of the things that she said after the first day she was like man one thing about it is like those Mises guys, they're so organized. They have everything done. There's nothing like half-assed about anything that they're doing. They have all their paperwork. Everybody has copies of it. Everybody knows what they're there to do. And everybody kind of has their assigned roles. And it was really, really powerful to see something like that, to see an actual organized kind of coalition going up against and um, going up, not against, but going up for everything that they that they wanted to get done it was really really great you guys kind of overshadowed that but I, I don't think it can be overstated enough yeah no we really appreciate that we came in with three different platform planks uh, that the state organizers had had come up with and kind of <clears throat> informally pulled the membership on we also came up with um, multiple bylaw changes or recommendations uh, one of which was to accept the rules committee recommendations and then have a couple of different ones um, that we wanted to propose. Um, And then, um, yeah, and then the endorsements. And I think it did go over really well. People had it in front of them. So when we proposed the platform planks, we actually just ripped out the sheet of paper and walked up and handed it to the state secretary and the chair so that they could read it off and everyone had the exact same wording in front of them. And what was interesting is the very first one that we did, a platform plank was the uh, right to bear arms plank. And there were quite a few floor motions on it um, from non-Mises folks, which we then accepted and came up with a basically joint platform plank that everyone could live with 
um, and it passed really well. I think, you know, probably about two thirds of the folks voted for it. Um, so just a very good teamwork together. We then went into bylaws. We passed all the rules committee stuff, which is what Mises had wanted to do, uh, pass that as a package and then go back and change things if we needed to. One of the things we changed was, um, was uh, we decided to um, make the appointed members voting members. That was the thing that we were very passionate about and we got that done. And I think, Caitlin, did you want to jump in on the um, Mises stuff real quick? Yeah, actually. Okay, so this is from the perspective of the at-large that was not endorsed. I did not even know how underprepared I was. It was so, it was just like intimidating. And that's, that's like part of the reason I wouldn't necessarily say that any of it was, quote, takeover. It was just more like the better prepared, better candidates won. Like, I feel like it was well-deserved and the, the organization factored into that and that's like you guys having everything there so people understand it and we can just read what you're saying there's not the hearing issue and all of that you know it was really beneficial yeah so I really yeah, appreciate no, we really it. appreciate that well we appreciate it and and then I'll even say I'll give a shout out to Caleb Angland uh, who is a fantastic OKLP member um, and not Mises' biggest fan, and that's fine because there's plenty of people that aren't. Um, but Caleb England actually pulled out of the um, at-large race because he was comfortable enough with the candidates that were running, um, which is the concern a lot of people had when we were putting up a slate. Everyone was like, these guys are just going to grab brand new people, throw them up there, try and force them in you know, with the votes. Uh, but Caleb looked at the quality of candidates and decided that he'd pull back. And then, of course, he ended up uh, being a judicial committee alternate, which is a big deal. Um, so and and more than likely we'll get to serve on the judicial committee uh, due to some upcoming vacancies that are probably going to happen. Um, so it's so great for Caleb as well. But but that was all based on that organization and based on the quality of candidates. And we really did try and focus on that. I was warned, you know, multiple times by multiple people. You know, don't put up bad candidates. It's not going to help the cause. You know, find the right people. And um, mm -hmm. and the folks that we put up, uh, we're really proud of. We think they did a great job. Yeah, they definitely did. I mean, well, the only two that I really know very well are Jeff and Will. But I cannot talk enough about how much I like Jeff and Will. I mean, they're both awesome. Yeah, and Will actually uh, announced after our endorsements and all of us were like, oh, why did you do that? You know, like <laughs> you would have you would have probably been right there in the running for the endorsements. And at that point, one of our guys actually stepped up and said, you know what, I think Will's better prepared than me for this position and I'm gonna step back and let Will run in my place. And he did so in time for us to make the changes on all of our documentation. Uh, so that there wasn't some weird, you know, don't vote for this guy, but vote for this guy kind of thing. Once we put yeah. the paperwork in front of people. Um, the other thing we also did is we handed out a free economics in one lesson book to all of the conventions. So people were just kind of, and, and it's probably important to order this. We gave everybody kind of the seven page packet on Mises. that was just papers that they could flip through <laughs> with all the information that we were going to be uh, promoting on day one. 
day two, we gave them the laminated stuff because that was during the election. So then they had all the election uh, endorsements laminated in front of them. And then day two at lunch, they got the book. So it's just kind of throughout the weekend, Mises just kept giving them more stuff. Um, and I do think that it just made a difference in that people realized, you know, they put time, effort, money into this. Um, and and they're super engaged in the conversation. So let's talk a little bit about, and I want uh, mostly Kevin and Caitlin here to talk a little bit about how some of the votes went. Um, because I'll start with saying every vote that was taken, that Mises took a stance on, um, went the way that we wanted it to. But again, there were only probably 15 hardcore Mises guys there and probably 17 total um, out of the 48. So we had no clear majority. So Kevin, from your standpoint, you know, how did those votes look from the outside in? Did it look like, you know, quote unquote, takeover? Did it look like coalition building? Was it just kind of quiet and no one really knew what was happening? What did it look like from the outside in? feel like it looked more like coalition building i mean you guys had really the thing that um that you guys had going for you is you had a lot of really strong candidates a lot of really strong mises candidates you know and people will people in this party are always looking for um some type of leader and so they were looking towards those strong voices that you have like will like tucker like kaylin like yourself like Jeff, I mean, there was a bunch of people that were people that are people that people want to listen to. And so, you know, I noticed you guys making kind of um, across the aisle bids to get some things done, you know, um, you guys shut down the, uh, the, a couple of, a couple of different things, you know, that, that you wanted to, you were able to push through on some things. But one of the things that I really, really liked was um, like you were talking about the 2A um, plank earlier you guys were willing to concede on a little bit in order to get your 80% or your 60% or whatever that threshold was that you had. So you're this idea. I don't really even like the word takeover um, because that's not what you guys did. You guys came in, you were very well organized, very well prepared, but you also conceded a lot, you know, and I know that going into it, you guys probably knew that you were going to have to concede a little bit, um, but the amount that you were able to was, was really, really good, you know, and you guys didn't have a clear majority. Um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, like I said earlier, there were members that you guys had that wielded a strong influence on some other people, but that really doesn't have anything to do with the Mises takeover so much as having really good candidates and really good participants. You know, when you got somebody like Will who organized a protest just a couple of weeks before convention in like six hours, um, it wouldn't matter if he was Mises or Prague or Audacious or Libsock or whatever. He's a leader and people are looking at him, you know? And so I think that this idea of a takeover isn't really, it's not an accurate description. I mean, yeah, you guys <clears throat> were able to get the things that you wanted, but you didn't get it a hundred percent. You didn't come in and take over and shove everything down everybody's throat. You conceded where you wanted to, you know, you and I had talks about getting into the second plank and, you know, things that I was going to fight you guys on. And, you know, it was all cool. I mean, that's just the way it was, you know, everybody knows where everybody stands and you guys were willing to, um, like I said, concede, you know, and another thing is like when it came to the open and closed primaries, you guys weren't even a hundred percent 
on that, you know, you guys kind of split on that one as well. So I don't feel like it was a takeover at all. I felt like it was coalition building and you guys were taking the necessary steps to get the things that you wanted done. Yeah. So uh, interesting point, because basically on the open versus closed primary, that's a debate that happens every two years in Oklahoma on whether to allow independence voting in our primary or not. Um, and there's great arguments for and against. We've done whole shows on it in the past, I think, with uh, Mr. Lawhorn. Is that right? Or was that yep. Chris? I can't remember. Yes, sir. Nope. It was with uh, yep. Rex. Yeah. Uh, great show. Um, but that was a very contentious debate. And it was one of the very few debates um, where Mises did not take a stand. We just said, do what you guys want. It doesn't really affect Mises. It's more of a party thing. Um, listen to the arguments. You guys haven't heard them before. You know what I mean? So you listen to the arguments and you vote how you want. Um, and, uh, and Caitlin, I'll defer to you because I think you had, you know, that was your first time hearing those arguments. Um, we've all kind of heard them before. What were your thoughts on how that debate went? I mean, I've heard the argument before, not at convention, but just in my general life, I've thought about it. Um, <laughs> I am completely for independence voting in our primary and it it's confusing to me that people aren't because the way that I look at it, and this is a very hot take, so I'm sorry, this is going to be a very, very unpopular opinion, but it's an illusion of controlling an idea and it's the cost is our name on a ballot that people can vote for us. It's an entire group of people we're alienating for this idea of control that we don't really have. I mean, people make this argument that, oh, independents will put up a libertarian candidate and all the independents will take over our party and just to get their, you know, their candidate on the ballot as a libertarian. First off, why would they do that? I don't see them reasoning their libertarians for the most part and i realize this is not true everywhere but for the most part they're not getting really elected anyway and for the second my second point um they could do that how it already is i mean you could convince someone to switch their voter registration to libertarian and they could have any political ideology in the world i mean i could be a communist and go switch my voter registration a libertarian right now and put a communist candidate as a libertarian candidate on the ballot right now that could have nothing to do with OKLP at all and I could have all my friends and all their friends do that and realistically that's the same issue that you're saying that you could possibly run into if you open independent so the risk is still there and you're not gaining anything. And you actually do gain something by allowing independents to vote, in my opinion. And what you gain from that is someone seeing a libertarian on the ballot, seeing that they care about me, they want to allow me to vote for them. And I think that's a libertarian idea, the freedom to vote on something. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting topic because I think Kevin and Caitlin were arguing against it. Caitlin, I can't remember where you stood on that issue. Yeah, I was for keeping it closed. Okay, so Kaylin and I were for keeping it closed. I encourage you all to um, go and listen to the Rex Lawhorn um, debate. I can't remember what side I took in that debate, um, but I was pretty hard for closed this time around. Um, and it was a really interesting debate. I mean, there were, there were loud, respected voices on both sides of the debate. 
Um, obviously, Aaron Adams and myself were foreclosed, along with D. Frank Robinson, I think. Um, Kevin and Caitlin were for open, and I think there were a couple of Mises guys who joined you. Um, Kaylin, from your perspective, that was the one vote where where we kind of put our hands up and just said, you know, have at it. What did you think um, when you saw our, all our brand new guys jumping on either side of the aisle for the first time, rather than working together? Yeah, I thought <laughs> like that was they were for the rest of it. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I mean, it just goes to show that we weren't there, you know vote in the exact same way on everything you know there was you yeah. know, we had our own individual autonomy you know so yeah yeah Kevin yeah, I think that that was discussion? I think it was really well you know I like I like my primaries like my borders <laughs> wide open anyways um I thought it was really good for you guys to to showcase you know because Bo was on our side and Bo was you guys vice chair candidate. I mean, and uh, he's an organizer as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was on our side. One of the things that I think was really, really good to showcase with that was there was there's there was this idea that was floating out there that, you know, the Mises voters, the Mises caucus didn't really have their own autonomy that you know this was all dictated and they were you know there were puppet masters pulling the strings and then when you saw Mises members kind of go at one another because it was a contentious vote it was probably the most contentious vote of the night and um you know it was really interesting to see that and I think that for a lot of the people that kind of had some negative connotations towards the Mises caucus it was good to see you know that that it, there isn't some puppet master that you guys just genuinely agree on most things and you kind of come together on that yep and I think um the other one that we should probably bring up it's worth bringing up uh is the chair race vote um, just because it was very interesting. And I don't know that everyone knows the story, but we actually did a chair race with approximately, I think, 45 votes. Um, and the first voting round was 22 to 22 with one note of vote um, and dead, dead ass tie. <laughs> and um, Kevin and Rex decided to make it extraordinarily interesting because suddenly they came up with this co-chair idea. Uh, Kevin, you want to talk about what you and Rex did uh, that threw the convention into um, <laughs> chaos for about a half hour? Yeah. So um, it's interesting because, you know, we ran, we ran this race on a message of unity, on a message of, you know, I wanted people to, I said it during the debate, I said it after, you know, I said it after the tie vote even, I wanted people to vote for me, not against Rex. And Rex kind of echoed that message. And, you know, we had done several debates. We had done several shows together where we were showcasing this idea of, hey, this is how libertarian races are supposed to be ran. Like, we don't have to fight and bicker about everything. And what, what you had with Rex and I was two very different backgrounds with two very different skill sets, but a very similar vision. Um, you know, I am... And, you know, Rex isn't here to back this up, but if you guys want to ask Rex, Rex will tell you 100%. Um, I'm stronger on the messaging. I'm stronger on getting people riled up on things like that. That is my, that's my forte, you know. Rex is stronger on the bylaws and on the actual organizational structure and all of those things. And when you're in the chair position, you have to do both. It's kind of a dual role type thing. And so he and I had, we had kind of discussed like, 
you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just both be chair? You know, Kevin could focus on this, Rex could focus on this. And it was kind of this pipe dream, you know? And then when the tie vote came down in the background, we were like, hey, let's do this. You know, let's propose this co-chair thing and we can split the, you know, we can split up and divvy up the responsibilities and we can make this thing happen, you know? So we brought this proposal to suspend this motion to suspend the rules in order to replace chair with co-chair throughout the bylaws and in every instant. And then we kind of came up with the structure of how it would work. We brought it to the floor and unfortunately it was voted down. Um, that's not what the body wanted. And, you know, that's fine because we're here to serve at the will of the body. Um, and then we, as is custom, uh, ranked choice voting, we dropped the third candidate, which was Noda, and I ended up winning by one vote. Uh, so whoever the Noda was decided that I was the guy. Um, so whoever reason, that is. But... <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because um, what you probably didn't know while you and Rex were having that discussion, Kaylin and I um, basically walked over, or Kaylin was already there, but we went over and sat with uh, Caleb. And who else was there, Kaylin? Drew Cook. Drew Cook. So basically, two of Rex's biggest supporters, two of Kevin's uh, Mises guys, you know, that had backed him. And we all sat down and kind of hashed it out and said, wow, you know, first of all, we didn't think we'd be in this position. Second of all, let's figure out what the right thing to do here is for the party. Um, and so two and two, and we all talked about it and basically said, no, it's got to be another vote. You know what I mean? And then they talked amongst their folks. We talked amongst our folks. And we were able to basically, you know, crush Kevin's idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Terrible idea. <laughs> terrible idea. Shit show. Complete disaster. <laughs> but the point is, is um, not only were Kevin and Rex showing unity, but the Mises caucus went over and talked to the two the two biggest voices against the Mises candidate. Uh, and of course, this is the first election out of eight, you know, and this is how it starts. <laughs> and so, but it was nice to have unity going both ways. And both of us, all of us knew that there were 50-50 chance we would, we'd be on the losing end, uh, but we tried to do what was right with, for the party. And that's what we had decided uh, was. So just interesting. Let's transition. I think we've talked enough about Mises. Let's do uh, 10 minutes on from a new person's eyes, new person's point of view how convention went, what could have gone better, um, and things like that. Because I think Caitlin has some good ideas and good thoughts on what she saw. Uh, and the important part here is every state is always trying to bring in new members. We actually did. We brought in, you know, about um, 15 to 20 of the 48 were brand new, had never really been with the party, and probably 25 had never been to a convention. Um, so I think this is good perspective. If you grow, you're going to need to um, to tailor your convention to people like Caitlin. Caitlin, you want to talk a little bit about what you saw? You there, Caitlin? Oh, we might have lost her. Yeah, we might have lost Caitlin. We'll get her back here. Um, Kaylin, you've been to two conventions. Are you, can yeah. you hear me now? Oh, now we got Kaylin. Oh, okay. back. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Kaylin, you're off the. Oh, off the you're hook. fine. My reception's <laughs> terrible here. Um, <laughs> no so, problem. so sorry about that. Um, 
Yeah, so convention was very fun and it was an amazing experience. I, for the most part, thought it went really, really well. My favorite part was probably hearing Spike talk. Uh, I thought his speech was amazing and that was really a big draw for a lot of people, I think. And it definitely generated some interest having his name showing up. Um, so that was a big positive. Um, so, so like I touched on earlier, I think a huge issue is on a lot of issues. I think people just didn't actually know what they were voting for. Yeah, so talk a little bit about that because um, I think this is important from a preparation standpoint. Uh, probably to set the stage, it's worth saying we all thought about 20 to 30 people would come to convention when we planned it because that's our typical off-year convention um, because Mises brought 15 to 20 people and because Spike showed up and another 25 people signed up we and then other um, recruiting outside of that, we ended up with 72 people at convention with about 49 voting delegates at the peak. Um, and so we had not planned on um, having paper in front of people. We planned on showing it on the screen. We planned on doing QR codes. Turns out that the screen didn't work very well and the uh, place didn't have internet. So Caitlin, talk a little bit about what that was like for a new member who hadn't spent much time in the bylaws before, hadn't had these discussions. You know, you weren't really in the, you know, I had Kaylin on the rules committee that was talking to me every day. Um, Kevin was on the rules committee. Kaylin was on the rules committee. We all do these things like the back of our hand when we walked in. Talk about what it was like to not have that paper in front of you and not have good audio visual during the convention. So I'm going to be honest. I have been transitioning to a new job, so I really haven't had much time to look at the bylaws. But in the OKLP's defense, Sharice did warn everyone multiple times that we were not going to have paper copies available, and she made it very easy to find everything. Um, that being said, I still waited till the night before and reviewed them in my hotel room the night before, just kind of briefly. Okay, well, I've never been to a convention besides um, the Northeast one, and that bylaws discussion and platform discussion was so smooth. So in my head, I'm picturing, okay, this is how state's going to be. Like, I'm not expecting the in-depth conversation over stuff like, should we use the word weapon versus the word implement? And... Uh, <laughs> So I'm scared, like when this start, starts going down, I'm like, oh my God, I should have looked at these. And there were so many other people there that it was their first ever convention and they were in the same boat as me. And you have to think I'm a little better off than most people because at least, you know, I have a background in the legal field. I know what the paper that the Mises caucus provided to me means, but these floor motions, I have no idea what's going on. And I think a lot of people didn't either. And it's like, oh, you know, eventually I think everyone did know what they were voting on just because the chair would kind of restate the motion finally. But there are times that I don't even know, did, did anyone even know what the motion was? Like, I think there's points where the whole thing was lost. And uh, what I would like to see in the future is I don't necessarily know how I feel about the you have to submit a proposal x days before 
but I do think that we at least need like a form printed off that people can grab and write out their proposed change, you know, page by page, line by line or whatever, because one that makes it a lot easier to put into the, you know, into the actual bylaws and two, um, people can at least, you know, maybe we can project it or type it out and people can at least see what they're voting on. And, you know, yeah. uh, a lot of the people are not as technologically, God, I just butchered that word, but they're not as adept at using phones, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I think that some of the demographic was really struggling with not having paper copies available. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Kevin, you want to talk a little bit about that since that was your fault? It was it was one hundred percent my fault. Um, <laughs> so the when we when we had this venue, we we uh, the venue was donated. First of all, big shout out to Mr. Cotton for donating that to us, um, which is amazing. However, we didn't have access to it until the night before, so we had no idea what we were working with. We were going in totally blind, and when we got there Friday, we realized that it was not set up the way that we needed it to be. So, which sent me into a full-blown panic and I ended up, um, I brought in, uh, an AV guy who used to work for the Republican party in Florida to kind of throw some things together. I went and bought a projector. Um, we didn't have a PA or a sound system, which was strange because it was, a, it was a theater. So we just assumed that they would have one. So we didn't have that. So we ended up using a speaker that one of my friends, had for his boat uh his his party barge yes that speaker up front is a speaker from a party barge yes oh man we should have played some party music out of it well we were going to but um the problem with it the problem with it was that since we were using it all day like that at max volume yeah it was eating through the battery and uh so there was a lot of things that you know, like I said, I, I went and bought a projector like Saturday morning. Uh, let's see, the caterer for breakfast on Saturday canceled at 7.30 when they were supposed to deliver at 8. And uh, oh so, my gosh. so I went to a donut shop in South OKC, walked through the door and said, I want everything that you have. And they go, oh, one of each. And I said, no, literally everything that you have, I need it right now. <laughs> oh and my like, gosh. I'm and we so shut sorry. Them down. So, um, basically anything that could have went wrong, went wrong. Um, not having the Wi-Fi killed our ability because our original plan was to have a QR code, just like restaurants do. Right. Yeah. Since we didn't have the Wi-Fi, the QR codes wouldn't work properly. And we messed with that for like five hours trying to get it to work. And we finally, you know, we're just unable to do it. And, uh, you know, thank God for Levi, um, who was our AB guy. He came in and helped out and did the best that he could with what we had. But, you know, we were really, we were really working with nothing. I mean, uh, we, we literally didn't have anything that we thought that we were going to. And the fact that it went off the way that it did is just, it's just a miracle and a product of the hard work of a bunch of different people. Um, so a lot of the issues as far as, you know, if we would have had Wi-Fi, then the original plan was when we got there, we were going to look at all the bylaw proposals and we were going to have, because uh, we originally thought that we were going to have a projector screen, like a real screen. That's what we were told, but we yeah. weren't. So we ended up having to use this cloth and then this projector that I bought. And uh, 
it just because of the size of it, our original plan was to have the old bylaws side by side with the new bylaws with the changes, the proposed changes highlighted and all of that. And it just, we were unable to do the things that we wanted. So the lesson from this is we're definitely going to check out the venue uh, probably a little bit further out from the convention than the morning of. And I think another lesson could be if you look at how Mises did our handouts, it wasn't one per person the first day and we were handing them back and forth at the table. Um, so we could probably have done the $200 of printing for 75 bucks, you know what I mean? And just had one or two at each table, um, which is just another way to think about what we could have done so that there are ones there for the people that need them. You know, at, at one point in time, we had about six different people looking through the bylaws for something in particular that everyone mm -hmm. thought was there, but no one knew where it was. And it turns out it wasn't there because it was one of those things that have been handed down in folklore. You know, this is what the rule is. And then nobody could actually ever find where it is because it didn't exist. Yeah. Um, and, and we were trying to scramble to see who had physical copies so that we could all look through it and, and try and find it. Um, the last thing I want to touch on uh, that I think is relevant and Caitlin brought up off topic or off show um, is cost. And the reason this is relevant is because a lot of these, when you are recruiting new people to come to their first convention, a lot of times they're signing up to be a member. So they're paying membership, then they're paying convention fee, then they're paying hotel. Um, and I want Caitlin to talk a little bit about what that was like uh, being a brand new member. I mean, I'm not going to lie, since I'm only 22, it was pretty expensive because you got to think I had to get a hotel for a weekend. I have to board up my dogs, $60 for me, $25 for my husband. So there's 85. I think the hotel was like 150 and then boarding the dogs was, I think, about also 150. So that is not a cheap weekend at all. And I'm fortunate that I'm able to do that. I don't really think it's feasible for everyone. And I know that not everything has to be feasible to everyone. I get that. But at the same time, I feel like if there was just like a one day option where people could at least participate, if they could only drive down for the day, I think that would be beneficial, especially considering Oklahoma is a huge state, you know? Um, so for a lot of people, that's for sure a weekend trip. And uh, that's, you got to factor cost into that. Yeah. And then the reason it's an interesting discussion is because, A, we talked about doing one day. We decided we couldn't. It was too much work. Um, probably that was the right decision based on the amount of work. However, we did make some changes requiring two-thirds votes going forward to make changes in bylaws. And getting bylaws out in front of people before the convention. And it's possible that we can get that, where you can structure this in a way that convention ends up being one day, um, or you can schedule it in a way that there's one day that's the most important if people can only come for one day. I know there was a situation in New Hampshire where a number of people actually boycotted the second or third day. Um, I can't remember which, uh, because they had, they had scheduled it so long and people just could not, um, commit that much time and money to the convention. Um, and so I know that that happened. Um, and it is a lot to ask of our newer members. Uh, in addition, if you do one day, you can get the price down to the point where more people can show up. And that's the point of these conventions is 
to get more new members involved. So you, you have more activists and more people in that pot that you can pick up um, for campaigns and for other things down the road. Kaylin, what are your thoughts on um, dollars and cents of what you thought it cost? And the other last thing I'll throw out there before you answer is um, in this convention, we decided that dinner was mandatory. It was in the lowest ticket price in all past conventions in Oklahoma. We have always had a convention price and then a dinner price. And in this one, we decided it was all in one. What were your thoughts on the cost and value and all that stuff, Taylor? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have to, I didn't have to pay for a hotel and all of that stuff. So I, I kind of don't figure that in when I think about it, but you know, I mean, $80 for the whole thing, including dinner and, you know, meal, five meals, I think it was, um, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, if, and, and there is a free option, that's not a lot of people know that, but any members it's in the bylaws, any members can come to the convention for free. Um, so they just don't publicize that very well, but you know, it, I, anybody that wants to come can come, you know, it's, I don't think it's that huge of a burden, you know, 80 bucks or 60 bucks or whatever it is, you know? So, and as far as like the, the time, yeah, it'd be great if we could do it all in one day, but I just don't see how that's feasible, how we could cram all that into, into one day. Yeah. I yeah. don't think you could either, but I do think you could do what Todd suggested and have it, you know, more important stuff on one day. And just cause $80 isn't a lot to you. That's you know, a lot of people don't have that, especially in Oklahoma. You got to think a lot of people are very poor here. Sure, I understand. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm just, you know, in the grand scheme of it, it, if somebody can't afford it, they can't afford it. But like I said, it's free. Maybe not the travel oh, and all yeah. that stuff, but, you know, it's doable. Yeah, Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. And I think it's going to change from convention to convention. Like next year, we won't have as many elections. So could we get it down to one day? This year, by the way, Saturday morning we essentially got nothing done right it was credentialing um introducing everybody real quick reports but we didn't start till 10 and then we had lunch at noon we got nothing done in the morning um so if you take out sunday morning elections and you move sunday afternoon to saturday then all of a sudden it is one day but it probably depends on the convention uh kevin last thoughts on that before we start to wrap up um I think that the one day option is, is definitely something that we need to look into. Um, I know next year's is probably not going to be in one of the major metropolitan areas. Um, we'll probably try to push it somewhere out in the other parts of the state. So that will encumber a lot of people. I think that we need to do a better job of advertising the free part, like Kaylin was saying. Um, but as for next year, I, I think that one of the things that, we'll end up running to is there'll be two things. One, we'll have a lot of candidates, not necessarily for the party, but just in the state that will be given speeches and seeking endorsements and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that will eat up a lot of time. But the one thing that we can definitely work on and something that we need to work on in the rules committee is we completely overhaul our bylaws every single year which is insane mm -hmm. i mean we change 80 percent of them every single year we need to focus on getting a workable bylaws and platform 
that we don't have that we can just make minor tweaks along the way instead of these vast overhauls that <clears throat> you know change a, a ton if we hadn't have accepted the rules committee recommendations as a whole that convention could have been six weeks long and going line by line of everything that we overhauled and changed so i do yeah. think that getting it down to one day is feasible i also think that not including the dinner um making that as a separate purchase would be a lot better um another thing that we need to work on this year um that's going to be a big focus of mine when it comes to convention is I would like to get more sponsors for the meals, which would in turn reduce the cost, which would make the tickets cheaper. And it kind of trickles down from there. You know, um, that's something in the past that we really haven't, we've kind of passed along those costs to the buyer, um, which is fine. However, I think that we can get that price down substantially. Another thing that I'll just throw out there um, that could piss some people off, but when we did the convention budget, we planned on zero fundraising and then we raised like three or $4,000. Um, so we ended up making like four or $5,000 on convention. Um, and the tickets were 70 tickets times 60 bucks or less. So my point is everyone could have gone for free and we would have actually made money on convention. Mm -hmm. Um and the reason I bring that up is not that it should be free. It's just that we should take fundraising into account when we're setting ticket prices and trying to understand how best to get people. Do I know of anybody who didn't come because of how much it costs? No. Um, and that's why I'm not pushing hard for it. But, but we do have to be cognizant of the fact that there are people out there that probably would come if they didn't go to the website and see $60 as the minimum option mm -hmm. next year. Um, all right, so uh, let's wrap up here. But this, I think this is a really good discussion about Mises, about convention. The point is, is you know, if you guys are going to come up with coalitions, whoever it is, Mises, Radical, um, just 15 of your buddies, be prepared. Look at the bylaws, look at the platform, come up with your solutions, have a plan together on how you're going to vote and how you're going to decide candidates. Um, come in and be organized, hand out things that allow people to understand your vision. Um, and they can agree or disagree, but at least they understand it. And you're not trying to teach people on the floor. Um, and then and then have people that are active in the discussion. It's not about bringing 25 people who are just going to vote and then walk out and not do the rest of the business. As Kevin was saying, your those arguments become much more impactful if they're not only arguing to be elected, but they're also arguing on the bylaws and the platform proposals three hours before the election or the day before the election. Um, Kevin, any last thoughts? Uh, no, not really, not really any for me. I think that we need to move away from this rhetoric of a Mises takeover um, because it, that's just not what it is. It's an, it's an organized, you know, push for something, but it's definitely not a takeover. I mean, you know, anybody that wants to assign or say that I'm Mises or something like that, like, I, I, I don't know, you guys didn't, you know, you guys supported me for chair and I'm definitely not Mises. Um, I know right. that the whole caucus didn't support me, but overall, this idea of, of it being a takeover is kind of silly to me. Yeah. Caitlin, Agreed. last thoughts? Yeah, I don't believe there's a Mises takeover <laughs> i mean i'm 
Yeah, I just don't feel like it's a takeover. I just feel like you guys were better prepared and everything. And, you know, it's pretty evident that you guys care about the party and you put a lot of thought and a lot of time into it shows and your effort shows. But I don't think it's just because you're in a caucus. To be honest, I don't really care about caucuses at all. And I don't hold it against you or for you whatsoever. So we, we appreciate that. Caitlin, your last thoughts. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it didn't really feel like a takeover to me. I mean, it's on one hand, like we got everything we wanted. We got all of our people elected. We got all of our, you know, everything, everything we wanted, we got pretty much. Um, <clears throat> but I, I mean, to me, the Mises caucus goals are aligned with the OKLP goals. Like we're not, I'm not going in two different directions. I mean, I just, I want the, the OKLP to be as good as it can. And I think, you know, the, the, ideas and the, the strategy that the Mises caucus is bringing is gonna, you know, help advance that. So I, I, I think instead of a, not so much a Mises caucus takeover as just making the OKLP better is what the goal is. Yep. And Kevin, I hope we remember uh, when we title this episode, the anatomy of a Mises caucus takeover that is quote unquote takeover, because that was essentially the point of this podcast was to show that this wasn't us just coming in with a bunch of people and getting our way and bullying everybody around and having a bunch of fights. You know, this, this went down exactly how it should go down. If you actually believe in the platform of Mises and are trying to grow your state party. Um, right now, we just had our largest state convention ever, even though last year we had a presidential candidate come and multiple years we've had presidential elections and this year we basically have nothing going on although spike did show um, but we have nothing going on from an election standpoint so we had our largest convention ever we elected our largest XCOM ever we rewrote the bylaws again <laughs> we had, we got a lot of stuff done at this convention um and it was done because of the preparation not despite it um and that's what this is all about so We'll close with that, but thank you, Kaylin. Thank you, Caitlin. We really appreciate it. We'll bring you guys back on to talk about other topics um, down the road, but thank you guys for coming on and talking about this. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it.